And we're live. Welcome back, thronies. You or, got it. I always think you're going to say purgers. <laughs> welcome back, uh, Sir Brienne of Toth, Knight <laughs> of the Seven Kingdoms. Oh, I, I'm very excited to break down this week's episode. How are you doing, John? I'm good. How are you? Has the Lord of Light come for you yet, Marcy? We both know there ain't no Lord coming for my soul. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, listeners, to the Pop Culture Theologians. We're so glad you joined us uh, for what will be a very fun discussion into all that went on in this episode. Oh, my um, gosh. You can make sure you're following us on Twitter at Pop Theologians. We are quite active this week with... Uh, we were both watching East Coast time, so we got to be a little shady as the West Coast and other coasts uh, started joining in on the fun. Um, you can follow me at jerickson85 and Marcy, my um, soulless creature of the night that came out of Melisandre. <laughs> Where can we find you? Hey, everyone. You can find me at I am the men who can on Twitter. Um, yeah, we're really active. I actually <laughs> accidentally started like a flame war this morning over my least favorite Broadway show. So honest to God, we're like always on Twitter. Come find us, tweet us your, um, like your predictions, who you think's going to die, what you think, if you think we're wrong. Uh, shout out to all the folks who actually reached out this week and were like, yo, I think you're wrong. It was great. Uh, I'm not, but let's see how this rolls out. <laughs> Just so all of our listeners know, I live for the moments where I get to tell Marcy she's wrong. You're going to fucking hate this episode then. So. <laughs> uh, I, a shout out to one of our most like loyal listeners. Even my brother was like, yo, John's got to eat crow this episode when y'all come to Danny. So I, I'm ready for this. But before yeah, we... But- She'll she'll save me in the end. Yeah, okay, okay. because white women do that. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Oh, Ooh. yo. Uh, all right. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of white women, what the fuck happened this week? So, <laughs> a white woman is coming to save us. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. Uh, I wanted to start off with Elizabeth Warren and uh, Warren. I am. So Oh, tired. Elizabeth Warren. She's ready for war. She is ready for war. But this is a war that millennials and Gen X, Gen Z, anyone but the fucking boomers has been waiting for. Uh, She has come uh, to the table with a proposal to actually deal with the student loan crisis. So I have a lot to say on this, but I'm going to shorten it to just a couple really kind of, do you mind if I get on a soapbox for a hot second, John? Let me get it out. Thank you. Bloop. All right. So here's the thing. All higher education right now, all higher education from Harvard to University of Phoenix to Trump U is a fucking joke. And not, not only is it a joke, it is a predatory scheme that people have made billions of dollars over. And we are bearing the yokes of that Ponzi scheme, this like predatory system of students in a way that the boomer generation and above cannot possibly understand. Here's the thing, we were told this this debt is manageable. This debt will repay itself. And like John and I are millennials, right? We came out right right when the market crashed, so like around 2007. But the generations a bit before us and definitely the generations afterward, what we have learned is there 
There is no way to pay back these loans with the interest that there is. There's no protection from them. You cannot declare bankruptcy for them. Um, and they are actually stunting the economy in a way that, ha, fuck you, boomers, is actually going to affect boomers in the future because we might, like my generation and the generations around me cannot afford homes. We cannot afford all, like, no, we cannot afford healthcare. We can't afford a lot of things. One thing we will also not be able to afford is to take care of boomers when social security runs out. So to see someone say, hey, I want to recognize that this is something that also has a huge death toll right now. Our generation, so Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, all of us have extremely high suicide rates, right? And a lot of that comes from the economic burden of the fact that we just can't make it. We work the most hours out of any generation. Most of us work two jobs um, of some sort. That's my soapbox. My higher soapbox is this. For those of you who have paid off your student loans, I am so sorry because it was still a predatory system when you were paying them off and you should not have had to do that. I come from a third world country, my family's Colombian, and no one goes broke over school or getting sick. So I understand how difficult it is for some folks who spent years paying off loans being like, yeah, well, I paid mine off, but here's the thing, sit the fuck down because the system is still broken. That is like saying we will never fix mass incarceration because some people had to go through Folsom prison when it was literally a hellhole. It is just so illogical, it lacks empathy, and like no one's liberation comes at the cost of others, but also like check your privilege for a second, and you don't want this for your kids in the future, those of you who can even afford to have kids, because Lord knows my friends and I can't. That's my soapbox. I feel very similar about healthcare. I feel the same way about mass incarceration. Like I want a more fair and just society. So very excited for Elizabeth Warren. I've had an interesting week watching people be like, but my fucking loans, I paid them off and I worked so hard or even worse, the folks who were like, well, but what about those of us who like worked real hard not to have student loans? That's called privilege. You could look it up. Don't ask your black and brown friends to explain it to you. Fucking find a dictionary. Off my soapbox. Woo! What, she, what she said. <laughs> Sorry, John. It's been a long fucking week. And I'm like, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to explain to people any. I, I don't. <laughs> I, look, I completely agree. I mean, I had a part of my graduate school paid for. Most of my master's was paid for. My PhD, I got a certain fellowship that allowed me to do it while I was in coursework. And then obviously life happened and I was out of coursework and I still had to pay the registration fee. I just paid the fee for me to graduate literally in three weeks. And like, let me tell you, I have a great job and I obviously was on the receiving end of that privilege and I have student loans that I'll be paying off, but that does not mean that I should not fight for people that have student loans that can't even get student loans because of the federal requirements and how that all happens. Don't even get me started. And for those people that have paid off their student loans, that's amazing. That's I think great. that's awesome. But we still need to make sure that other people don't fall victims to these predatory schemes. Right. And also like, I'm sorry, but like if you're like Sir Davos's age, when you went to school, it costs $2,000 to pay for an entire semester. I'm from Florida. Like a year, like first of all. Like the full fuck, whole fucking yeah. year. I'm from Florida. One year alone costs you like 20 something thousand dollars, which means- and that's at like Tallahassee State Tall College exactly. Yo, I'm a Seminole. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Of the whoa, trade. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, plumbing school. 
but that means undergrad alone loans without the like even if you're like working to pay where you live and your food you're close to six figures you're looking at eighty thousand dollars for a basic undergrad which we all know you can't apply to fucking mcdonald's anymore without a ba so that's it okay moving on moving on to a florida story <laughs> uh which is technically a colorado story but really weird week so this like columbine obsessed florida team uh apparently like threatened all the schools in like a, the colorado in colorado state but surrounding columbine in particular and so i have friends who live in colorado all the schools were shut down eventually they found the teen it looks like she committed suicide before she got to denver but i can i cannot imagine right it's a 20 years since columbine John, do you, like, I know for me, this is something big. I distinctly remember where I was when Columbine started. I don't remember. No? For me, that, it's like 9-11. It happened, like, right when I was in high school, I remember sitting down at my house with my mom on, like, our couch and watching and being like, what the fuck? Because that was the first time we'd ever seen it. You are older than me, though. I'm, like, ancient. But so is Melisandre, and she looks damn good, right? Well, so we're do- we're do- you do have that same necklace. <laughs> Yeah, we're do- we're doing good, um, but yeah, like uh, like major hugs to any any of our friends in Colorado. Um, everything from elementary schools all the way to high schools and, and colleges have to close down, and I can I can imagine that was extremely re-traumatizing for the entire community. So crazy story, and of course she's from Florida because Florida. That's all I've got. Like like it's just it's just such a Florida story. I have got nothing. Right. Our third one is actually not, I mean, it is a new story, but we just want to send as much love as we can to Sri Lanka. Um, As everyone knows, there were bombings in Sri Lanka um, that happened this week and um, there's 321 dead and apparently there's more folks on the run with explosives. The information that's come out has been really difficult kind of to parse out. So just sending so much love to Sri Lanka and to other places also that deal with terrorism um our hearts are with you you know i think a lot of like the global effects of something as trivial as game of thrones that shows how interconnected the world has become now and so um i think about that often right whenever people trash like the internet and like globalism i'm like you know what like the world to a certain extent can hug itself in a much more beautiful way now so we send tons of love tons of love and and healing um you know so love, all right love, love. Love, 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 especially, especially in this world, we need a ton of love. So the, I guess like, you know what, we can jump in, but I was going to say just on, on a note of love, John, did you love or hate this episode? I I had to watch it again to like it. The first time I watched it, I was like just angry because I'm not used to episodes of Game of Thrones anymore, like actually having character development and dialogue. (laughs) And so like I had to really sit back and be like, oh, wow, like this is something we've been looking for like for so long because we've always been on the edge of our seats and also everyone's going to (laughs) die. Yeah, I yeah, I love this episode. Uh, so we'll we'll break that down now. So it's time to break down episode two of the final season of Game of Thrones. Are you ready for it, John? To tell you you're right? We'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. I, 
I will say you and I were texting each other and both of us were like, this is a strange episode. And I think you're, you hit the nail on the head when you were like, it's been a very long time that we've had such a character driven episode. Yeah. Like everyone gets like a moment. And, and a lot of them are payoff moments. Right. So like, it's always weird when like, what is it? Almost nine years into this relationship with the show, eight years. Um, it's weird when you get payoff because a part of the fun is the, the like, what I call like the water cooler talking, right? Like it's the fact that we do break this bullshit down and then hypothesize and then get angry when we all think we're right. Um, so it is weird to sometimes get payoff in an episode. So I think for a lot of us, it was like, whoa, there's like, honest to God, every scene is important. And, um, and then we were like, there's no fighting. And then I'm reminded that season one, which is my favorite season, did not have battles in it. It was a lot of character development and plotting and stuff like that. So, so we start this episode off with uh, my bae, Jamie. Your boo. My boo. So <laughs> which, he arrived. He arrived. He has risen. I mean, I still don't think Bran needed to sit out in the snow for hours on end waiting for him, but sure. Sure. Some of the best Twitter things happened with like how they mixed up that scene from the end of episode one. <laughs> I saw a really good meme on Twitter today that was like, who keeps leaving Bran out in the middle of nowhere for days on end, right? Like, who's the one like taking him with the wheelchair out to the wire world t- tree and being like, all right, bro, I guess I'll come back in like, I don't know, like 80 hours. Like, See you in a couple hours, dude. Yeah, don't freeze. Um, so, so interesting because Jamie, we talked about his redemption arc last week. Um, but Jamie has a moment of reckoning here and it's very real. Like I don't, I don't think people realize Jamie really could have died in this moment and it would have been a very, 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 very fair death. And I say that while loving Jamie, Jamie has, there are people who have died on this show for much, much less. Um, so, so to have this, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's so interesting. I'm still fascinated by the fact that we start this show off with him throwing a child out a window. And I am honest to God thinking that there is an 80, 90% of us that are rooting for Jamie at this point to just end up having a good death. Like to end up having it. Cause I, and I say death, not because I don't think he deserves like a happy ending, but because I'm not, I, I really don't know that anyone's going to end up alive really. But, um, but, but Daenerys does lay the case down against him, which you keep forgetting. I, I did you like? Feel, I felt like, oh right, he's responsible for the destruction of her family even before Sansa's family. Yeah, and I think the thing that you get with the Danny part and the dialogue is it sets up like two parallel stories. It sets up the arc that continues with her and Sansa. And really, who's the who's the true bitch of the North, right? Like we all know, it's not Danny. But then she sets up like the narrative, like wow, like Jamie, you actually screwed up, and you did a lot of horrible things. And like this is the first time she's actually ever seen Jamie, so she isn't able. Like she's processing all this stuff. All these other characters. Um, really, I mean, well, it's the second time she's seen Jamie because she saw him at the episode last uh, last season when she kind of went in with Drogon and like blew up everything after they seized um, 
uh, the old lady, <laughs> Olena. But, you know, I really think that what you have here in front of us is Danny really finally getting to confront someone that, that ruined her life. Right. Like that actually hurt her. So like, I, I was thinking about like, yeah, a lot of Danny's stuff has been hypothetical other than the death of her brother, which is one of my favorite scenes in the entire series. Everything has been like this, like this wolf, I want to say this mad woman shrieking about the kingdom that was taken from her and how she will, you know, bring it back through blood and fire. Um, but to people who literally don't give a shit, like the people in Marine did not give a shit. The Dothraki follow her because the girl lit on fire didn't die and has dragons. And she was also married to Khal Drogo. Like this is the first time we get to see Danny in the context of this battle for the throne. Um, and as part of the history of Westeros in a very real way. Um, I also loved that Sansa was like, ditto. Like, look what you fucking did to my dad. Look what you did to my family. Um, and then Brand, like, mwah, kiss of death with his, the things we do for love comment. With his chorus line reference. Oh, I was like, he doesn't have to say anything else, man. Like that is, I mean, I, I am positive a tiny piece of Jamie died in that moment. Right. And like, because that is such, that is like the type of shade we all dream of, of saying to someone. Like, well, I think nope. Jamie shat his pants because he's like, wow, I'm about to die. Oh, I'm about to die. Like, he's about to spill the tea because they have that conversation later where he's like, why didn't you tell any, everyone? Right. Like, well, what good are you to, what good are you to the battle? To the battle, dead. And that, well, and we'll get to that because I think, remind me to get to that because I think that there's an important line in that discussion. Um, but in this first scene, Brienne going to bat for Jamie to for going to first off they all keep talking to Sansa which I think is great because like none of like in the, the Northmen to a certain extent acknowledge those who have earned the power to rule right and I feel like fundamentally that is something Danny is incapable of understanding but like they understand that in the North, we follow those who deserve to be followed. And so like Brienne going like Lady Sansa, like I would vouch for him, telling her about the fact that like the reason she's alive is because of Jamie. And not just the promise that he made his mom, but if you think of Oath Keeper, like because his honor was there and he understood that like it was important to not only honor his oath to Kat, to Kat but like, that it was just the right thing to do. Like delivering the, the Stark girls to Cersei meant certain death. It would have made her very happy. So like, and then Sansa being like, all right. That is a moment of solidarity between women that like I was living for. Yeah, Brienne really does remind us, like, whereas Danny points out, like, the negative case, like, Brienne comes up and she's like, oh, by the way, like, all of this also happened because of Jamie and Sansa, you wouldn't be here, Arya wouldn't be, I mean, like, all these things would not have happened without him. And it's kind of goes back to the season, last season, where um, Brienne sees Bran, Arya, and Sansa together and Pod's like, you've kept your vow, like, you know, she would be, um, you know, 
uh, Lady Stark would be proud. And you kind of see this moment of like recollection on her face where she wasn't thinking about it in those terms. And I think she's been waiting for a moment since the last season finale where she can be like, she had that quick confrontation with Jamie to be like, this is like about fuck honor, fuck loyalty. And she right. sees that he actually finally lived up to the person that she always knew he was. Right. And so again, like a beautiful moment, a moment of what it looks like to share power. Like Sansa thought she, what she was doing was right. But then she trusted this other woman at the table who was like, yo, give me a second. And, uh, and then it's interesting because Danny's kind of like, oh, uh, all right. Like it just all happens. And like, no one consults Danny about it ever again. Like, and I thought that was very interesting. Um, but, but a beautiful moment, which leads to what I think is the second best scene of this entire episode. There were so many good scenes, which is the discussion confrontation slash Kiki between Sansa and Danny. Yeah. At first I really thought it was going to be like, um, a bend the knee moment. No, I thought it was going to be like, Oh wow. Okay. We're really not going to go on this like cat call, you know, catty storyline narrative area. Like I thought that they were finally going to like, kind of like, do away with it and come forward and i'm like oh and then it ended the way it did this is the most perfectly i would say honest to god one of the most perfectly written scenes for doing what it needed to do and so john i know you and i disagree on danny i think this is the first sign of many that you're wrong and i'm so sorry because that's got to be real hard but <laughs> Like, here's why I think this is important. One, I think it's a reminder that Sansa has learned to play the game and she learned from the best, right? So I actually did get nervous. It was a bend the knee moment because, you know, Danny's trying her best to flatter her. And I think Danny only knows flattery as like this kind of like flattery and then allegiance, right? But she doesn't particularly understand strategy because she seems to like contract that out to other people. But like they do share what I think is an authentic moment of like reckoning with each other. Um, you know, like, hey, like I should have been more more open about you getting here. Hey, I should have thanked you for letting us in. Like whatever. When Sansa makes the asks, it's not even the ask about the North. What happens when this is all done? Danny's answer? Well, then I get the throne. That's the wrong answer. That's not the answer of a leader. Like, yeah, because Sansa's like, what about my people? Right. That was the fundamental difference between the two of them, right? Like, And so, yes, I think that it's important for Sansa that the North be free and all that. But I think what was more important in that moment was, one... That was like a great like lead in of Sansa having this dialogue and then digging the knife in. Sansa does not trust this bitch. She's not going to trust her. It's done. But what's important, I think, for us as the viewer to catch is Sansa is asking about her people. Danny hasn't thought about that shit. Danny legit is like, well, I'm going to take the throne. As if that means anything. That means nothing. Talk to the girl who's been doing the ledgers for the last like couple months, trying to figure out how to feed people in an endless winter, how to protect less, less powerful houses, how to house everyone. This girl who's been doing it all to hear this woman who just like walks in is like, this is all about a, like legitimately a chair that was taken from me. Yeah. Oh, per for just like the perfect moment. 
I just think Danny's like so close and she feels it and she's like becoming over she's she's going into her like nature in the sense like of her father of her brother those horrible aspects that are a part of her the targaryen side that she's ben, had to like come against you know, you know you know the words you're looking for she's going mad i think she's going through some things and she <laughs> you can't just say it <laughs> i think i think we'll have to wait and see i think if she survives <laughs> the next episode we'll we'll have to talk about oh no it. she'll survive to the end but we'll talk a little bit more about this in the crypts but uh but yeah so i thought this was a great scene um i know for some people it's been like why is it catty between these women instead of them coming together uh this is one of those moments where I don't think their gender matters. I think what matters is that we have someone who is leading by example and someone who feels entitled to lead. So that's how right I feel about Sansa, it. Right now, Sansa is winning the battle. <laughs> right now, I'd probably put Sansa on, on the throne out of everyone. So, <laughs> um, okay, so a couple other smaller things that happened in this episode that I thought were great was um, when we get, when the... Um, when the folks from the walk come back, the the Night's Watch, the couple of them that are left, um, I love that exchange between Sam, um, John, and I cannot remember his name. The, the, the he's, he's now the commander of the Night's Watch, but I love that they they were kind of bantering about like Sam being a ladies' man now and like kind of saying like yo maybe killing white walkers right like but like you should like go hang out in the crypts and sam's like wait wait first off i've killed whites like i've done this shit i stole books i stole a sword i have like i can i have like a woman and like there's definitely gonna die is she pregnant is gilly pregnant she i think maybe the actress is pregnant I was like, something's happening here, but I mean, she has little Sam and stuff, but I love that Sam was like, stop counting me out, yo. I'm still alive. And honestly, he's not wrong. All odds point to Sam being dead a bajillion times and he hasn't died yet. Um, so, so that was kind of a great scene. I will say I felt, and John, when we were texting, we were both kind of saying, I keep feeling like we may be saying goodbye to characters, right? So um, I don't think we're saying goodbye to Sam uh because i i think i've I've shared my theory that i think sam is the person who writes he's the grandmaster who writes the song of ice and fire um i could totally be wrong about that but i do think that we're about to lose the commander of the night's watch that's the last time we see him so yes a lot of people are about to die yeah i also like and maybe i actually had a thought about this there's something really beautiful about the camaraderie of the men of the night's watch and then i was really ashamed of myself because it reminded me of the camaraderie my friends who were seminarians had (laughs) i was like vomit that that's what this is reminding me of um but but there is something to be said about these men who have gone through kind of like these singular experiences together and who are facing something bigger than themselves right yeah definitely and i think yeah i also just as a side note i know twitter's like blowing up with like the crips and like how like if you're like the commander of the dead and like you're in a crypts like everyone's gonna die that's going down there because he can like um you know raise the dead i don't know if i believe into that theory but man if everyone in the crypts dies we're in for a long haul here's what i know if i had a counter last night for how many times they told us the crypts was the safest place to be, 
I like my fingers would hurt from how many times I would have clicked it, which, which for me means the most unsafe place to possibly be during the battle of Winterfell next episode has got to be the crypts. Uh, and I have some, some theories about that when we, when we do some predictions. So, so more stuff that worked in this episode, I loved, um, the exchange, the exchanges between Arya and the Hound. Yeah, it was nice to see those two bitches back together. Look, I know these two bitches are not going to tell each other that they love each other. And when um, Beric Dondarrion, I'm messing up his name because it's like I have like, uh, I can never say his name right. But like the like jokes between them, there's a part of me that I'm like, come on, Arya, just say you care about him. Like the Hound is almost like a father figure to her now. And so like, I like, and those figures are very important to Arya. Like, if you think about it, Arya has primarily followed like older men, her dad, like uh, in particular, but obviously in the house of, of the dead. And, and so I think like, there's just a part of me that hopes that they get a good goodbye with each other. I don't know if we'll get that because I think we might've said goodbye to the hound tonight. So, oh, you think, oh, okay. We'll get there. Right, but but then I would be negating the fact that I still want Clegane Bowl, so so maybe not. That's not one of my official ones. If I think there's an official death coming, I will definitely put it like on on my counter, and and we'll go through that. Um, yeah. So and then before we go into um, the final three kind of scenes that we wanted to say, like this was really great. Um, I here's something I thought was interesting. You've said this a million times, right? Like Bran is now a creepy little motherfucker, right? Like, and also with like him just like walking around being creepy and being like I'm the three eyed raven. Like, if I did that at work, people would wonder if I was okay in call HR, right? But no, everyone acts like it's the most normal thing in the world, except for Tyrion, who's like, "Yo, let me pull up a chair." Right? He's like, "You okay, kid?" <laughs> but this is Tyrion, like, finally being able to be like, "Okay, I've screwed up a lot," and then he kind of got his little mojo back there when Danny and him had a little quick moment after Jorah's like, "Hey, like, lay off of him," you know? And he really stuck up for um, Tyrion, which means I think Jorah's like definitely dead. But um, I think Bran told Tyrion something that we're gonna find out later. I actually agree, but I also think this shows us. Also, one of Tyrion's strengths that, like, you know how Jorah um, had that conversation with Danny in this episode of, like, you need to listen to Tyrion? He's still the smartest person here. And also Sansa, when he when she was like, Tyrion's fucked up, and she was like, yeah, but they're family, and he has a blind spot. So did you. Like, no one should have trusted Cersei. Um, when Jorah is telling Danny something very similar, he, he reminds her that, like, Tyrion's worth is his brain, right? And like this scene with Bran is such an example of like, this is, so there is, there are different ways to have strength and to battle. And if we learned anything from Littlefinger is you do not need to be really good with the sword to win wars and to kill leaders, right? But also to be strategic. Like the fact that no, we've got Bran saying, I can see in the future, I can see in the past. And no one's like, hey, we're about to go to battle. So like, how about you see something coming up, right? Like, I think it's interesting, obviously purposeful that we didn't see what the conversation was, but I was proud of Tyrion for, for like being like, yo, let's talk. Yeah. Right. 
So I agree. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they actually spoke about because brands like, you know, like their, their night now or like their ultimate chess piece. Yeah. Like he's going to go sit out by the weirwood and like wait for the night King to come. And definitely there's something that happens in that scene based on what we see in the preview. That's really right. gonna like some, that scene is like going to change the show. Something's going to oh, yeah. happen there. And like, it's going to, a lot of shit's about to break down. Yeah. So, so John, did anyone? But I'm glad he's creepy with a plot now. Right, right. Uh, for, <laughs> for sure. I, I'm just glad someone's talking to him. The poor thing's just hanging out in the woods by himself. Uh, <laughs> did, so did anyone have a sexual awakening in this episode? <laughs> um, uh, Brianne. <laughs> I, I actually think she did. <laughs> But let's let's talk about the most important one. Oh, you mean Arya getting hers? Finally. She got hers good. Thank goodness. Girl got her, got to ask for exactly what she wanted. Got Take off your her. pants, Gendry. I am right. not the red right. woman. I'm like, whoever wrote that scene deserves the Emmy. Well, first off, she's like, what were their names of the women you were with last time? And I was like, oh, God, these poor women. But like... So people on online went crazy over this scene, right? They were like disgusted. They were like, she's a child, like whatever. So Danny's technically a child in the books. Like right. so Danny's I don't like know if, literally like, 16 or something. I don't know if people who haven't read the books uh, don't know this, but everyone was aged up um, in, in <laughs> the show. But Aria would on the show be 18. Book age Aria doesn't matter. In in the show, she's 18. We did meet her when she was 14, very young, right? Like, but but that is she is of, of, of consenting age. She's actually a 22-year-old woman, right? The decision to have sex was made completely with her agency. Gendry definitely consents. And for the folks who are like, yeah, but she's like a fighter killer. I'm like, and we're all holistically like we are people of many layers she can be like a deadly killing machine and still want to get hers and that does not derail from the character that we know that actually feeds into the type the character i know which is aria bows down to no one and gets done what she wants to get done i, I just yeah. yeah like everyone being disgusted by it online i was like oh but you weren't disgusted when she killed the phrase or like any of that yeah also like they've been shipping this pretty hard in the whole series. Like ever since like Gendry, Gendry and Arya kind of met each other. Yeah. It's we, you've had years to kind of like be like, it's coming. Also, it's the end of the world. Yeah, right. Like if you've got one night left, no one's sleeping. You're going to be so scared and anxious. And if you have Gendry in front of you, girl. Seriously, and her dad would be happy because that is his best friend's son. So we've got like the Baratheons and the Starks coming together, which is exactly um, what they wanted at the end. If you go yeah, back to, all the way to the beginning season, he's like, you know, we'll marry a Baratheon and a Stark together, you know, and how they had that plan with like Sansa and you know, crazy psycho killer blonde boy. But you know, right, right. But I was like, no, I was, I was just kind of annoyed with Twitter. I was, I was like. Y'all have watched her grow up. I get it. I get that reaction of like, isn't she 12? She does have a very young face. I get it. But she is a 22-year-old woman. On the show, she's 18. And God knows you're not going to play Catan the night before you die. 
Not that I think Arya is going to die, but that's literally the type of stress that they're all under. So mm-hmm. now moving on to the best scene. I'm, I'm going to say it. I think this is the best scene the show has given us, period. And that is the hearth scene around the fire. I, I, I love it more than I love the Red Wedding. And I know they're not comparable or the Battle of the Bastards or even the, the Fall of the Sept of Baylor. The scene is beautiful and it is perfection. It makes me very scared for everyone around the fire. <laughs> yeah, they're all dead. <laughs> Let's start with the easy ones. Um, I love Sir Davos being there. We know he doesn't drink before a fight. He likes to just walk and walk and walk. Um, we knew that from the night uh, before Battle of the Bastards. Uh, John, what do you think of Tormund's origin story? I, I'm not on Team Tormund. Like, I just think he's weird. And, like, I never really... What? I, I just... I mean, like, yeah, okay. Like, he chugged a bunch of milk and he, like, sucked on the teat of a giant. Whatever it was. Like, I'm just kind of, like, with him, I'm just, like... I, but that's also because, like, on first viewing, I was, just, like, really... I was so bored with the episode. And then on the second viewing, I was, like, oh, okay. This is why this episode's doing this. This and is so, so confusing to me. Yeah, I'm just... Are you are you jealous because you feel a kinship? Like, you're both, like, extremely tall, like, Nordic men? Is that <laughs> no, it? No, I just... Like competitive I just am, like... I'm just not... Like, if if I had to, like, sacrifice someone to, like, save someone else, like, he's definitely on the list. <laughs> so, I love the fact that... Um, that Tormund gives us this origin story of Giant's Bane and kind of, like... Um, because what, what I think it is is it's a, every again everyone's waiting to die, and then he's like, "Guess it's time to bring out my sucking on a giant's tit story," and like it was so bananas kind of. It reminded me actually. I know I bring this movie up a lot, but Ex Machina has this crazy kind of dance scene in the middle of like some of the most tense written scenes I've ever seen, and it just kind of cracks you up and breaks you a little bit. And I thought that's how this um, discussion with Tormund was. Um, I obviously, look, I'm not, I'm too old to ship shit, but I still, I, I love his love of Brienne, right? Like, I love that when he arrives, he's like, is the tall woman here, right? Um, but more importantly, Tormund um, initiates what I consider to be one of the most beautiful moments of this show. So when Tormund figures out that Brienne is not a knight, right? That she's just Lady Brienne. And like, Brienne's kind of like, it's only men, not that I've ever wanted to be a knight, but like, it's only men. And he goes, if I was a king, you know, like, I'd knight the shit out of you, right? Um, and like, he kind of, he kind of turns the light on for Jamie of like, wait, I have the power to knight Brienne. Um, I saw this like great meme, I shared it with you, John, of like, this is what it looks like when a male advocates for you as a female at a staff meeting. Uh, <laughs> yes. I was like, because Tormund was like, this is unfair and inequitable, and let's fix the situation right now. I mean, I put you on my team right now, but like, why aren't you like, why are you not getting your fair pay? 67 cents on the dollar. Like, Tormund is just not going to have it. Um, and then with Brienne, it's such a beautiful girl has dreamt of being a knight since the day she was like born right she she reminds me obviously a lot of aria and and like aria when she tells ned in season one that like when he's like you'll be a a beautiful lady married off to a lord and you'll have kids and she looks at him with that face and she's like that's not me father right 
that's like Brienne has lived that same life, but kind of accepting that like, she'll just never get to be a knight. She's as good as any of these fuckers. And so when Jamie knights her, the smile and tears on her face. And then when the camera pans around the fire and you see everyone's love for Brienne in that moment, like from pod to clearly Tormund, um, and also how moved Jamie is in that moment. Because I think one thing that we do hit Jamie hard on, right, is that he's the Kingslayer. But that man, like, we, we know that he was the Kingslayer to protect the kingdom. He's done a lot of bullshitty things, but he is technically a very good knight. Yeah. I also think that this, I mean, I don't think we're actually going to get to, I mean, I know a lot of people really want to see, like, Jamie and Brienne, like, hook up. I think this was their version of hooking up. I agree. I, I don't need to see them in bed. No. I actually... It's a different bond. It's a different way. It's a different... It's a different type of this was intimacy this was was, like i don't i can't even like i get seriously i get i i've been weepy all week i get weepy because it was it was brienne being like making herself vulnerable enough to say i do want this and i do deserve this right and then this like round table of like misfit knights being like not obviously they're not all knights but these men being like yes you do yes you do as so that was a great scene i don't know if i would classify it like as like the best scene in the entire series um but it was definitely a beautiful scene that made me realize like oh shit like everyone's gonna die right so and we can we can actually do that now so i so obviously the best thing in this entire episode for me is brienne becoming sir brienne of tarth Night of the Seven Kingdoms. And the show held off the title of the show until after it had aired, which is Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Yeah. Um, just a beautiful thing. I do think that this is where you and I can talk about who we think we're saying goodbye to, which I think we're going to, I think, I think in this episode, we said goodbye to a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I, when we were talking about our outline, you know, I said, what's the best thing? What are like my tops for the week? So I was like, everyone's gonna die and then (laughs) because it's like you know like we're gonna see some shit next episode and maybe the episode after that and the episode after that and who knows right but then you know this the worst thing about it is like oh shit everyone's gonna die right so here's who i think so far up until this part and there's only one more conversation that i think matters but we'll touch on it People from this episode that I think we have officially said goodbye to and we can expect imminent deaths. Goodbye. Okay. I think we said goodbye to Jorah in this episode when he guided Danny. So that's one of mine. Peace and also with you. Peace be with you, Jorah. Uh, I think we said goodbye, obviously, like I said, to the um, commander of the Night's Watch. Mm Mm-hmm. I think we said goodbye, this pains me, to little Lady Mormont when she rejects the idea of going to the crypts and says she's not going to knit. She will be battling by the side of her men. She might live longer than some of the people in the crypts, but I do think that that is fundamentally a goodbye for her as well. Peace be with her. Peace be with you. I think we said goodbye to Davos. Ooh. I know he we didn't get a very real goodbye but I honestly like Danny has enough people around her and I I don't particularly see a point to including Davos in that scene if it wasn't um I think we said goodbye to Tormund tonight and uh or tonight 
that when we watched the episode, which is devastating because I have loved my bushy redheaded giant with all my heart from the day we met. I wish I was his, his Brienne and it hasn't worked out because I'm five, three. I mean, um, I love his storyline in the sense of like how he served as like people, you know, on the other side of the wall and how he really became like a proponent for John and everything in the, in the previous seasons. I love like, his excitement when he sees John in this episode and gives him a hug and calls him a crow. And like, it actually know. scared me when like he hit him like really hard. Cause I didn't see him coming out of anywhere. I was like, <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, you know, but I thought he was going to die like seasons ago and he's still alive. So I've already kind of accepted that. I'm good with him going out as the main advocate for the for this woman that he loves. So um, I think that that will be totally. If he saves Brienne for us. I will. I will. I will change my tune. So I actually have a theory about that. But again, we'll go into the theories for the future at the end of the episode because I actually have a really big theory on that. So this brings us to Jenny's song and Pod. Um, Podrick uh, obviously Theon asks if anyone can sing a song and. Pod sings the most beautiful uh, battle lament Jenny song. Um, Florence and the Machine covers it at the end of the show. Uh, there's been jokes on Twitter that now we know what made Pod so popular at the brothel. It wasn't his huge dick. It was what makes every mediocre <laughs> white dude amazing in college, which is they play guitar and can sing well. Um, <laughs> uh, it was such a beautiful scene and, and, and ending it with that like... Um, with his crystal clear, beautiful song, um, as we pan over the people we love, felt like such a real goodbye. Yeah. I mean, I tweeted from our account and like that I'm getting some major Return of the King vibes. Like, Agreed. And, and, and in the Vanity Fair article from the authors, you know, that we've followed. Oh, from Joanna of, Robinson? Yeah. I mean, you really find, I mean, Jenny's song has a very specific place in the book. So it's really yes. not as um, hashed out as the show takes it which is pretty fascinating um especially if that turns out to be like actually true with how um they've completed it but definitely i was like wow hello lord of the hello lord of the rings like what do we have here i mean that's like with when pip sings during that scene in lord of the rings because then also it's really funny and how it happens kind of early on in like it's like hour six of return of the king out of like 15 hours or however long that movie runs for it's like this is episode two and we still have so much more to go and there was so much more to go after pip saying and return of the king that it's like okay something there's definitely common themes and they haven't had a song in the show for a long time it's been so a it was, while it was really beautiful it reminded me a little bit of, and I know there's a lot of hatred for Ed Sheeran in the Game of Thrones world. I'm with you guys. I thought it was a ridiculous um, I don't know cameo. Her. I don't know her. <laughs> but um, in the Hobbit films, they did something very single, similar with Ed Sheeran's version. It's his song, I think, of um, Icy Fire playing over folks. That was the right? Hobbits, right? The Hobbit film. Yeah, it happened in a very similar way. And it's just a very haunting way to say goodbye to people right before you go straight into battle. So one of the things that we focus on when Jenny's song is being sung by Pod is, we. I totally forgot to cover this at the beginning, but when Theon comes in to the North and they realize Theon's come to fight for the North, Sansa and his hug and John, I know this is on your list of dislikes, but let's battle it out like like the queens that we are. 
One, I think it was to show that Sansa, again, I don't think they're pitting Danny and Sansa against each other because they're women. I think they're pitting them up against each other to show the humanity of one and kind of the dehumanization of the other and what's happening to her. But like the warmth when Sansa sees Theon, which makes sense, right? Like he saved her life, but also he's the only person in the world who witnessed what she went through. The only person, like remember Bolton would put him in the room while he raped her, right? Like in the room while he tortured her. He was tortured by by him as well. And so I thought it was very sweet. But when, um, and then Danny, we've never seen her be warm with anyone like that other than maybe Jorah and her dragons. And even Jorah, it's still a little weird. But when Jenny's song's playing and we pass over, so Sansa's last meal before this battle, again, before they all think they're going to die, is this like, it's with Theon. And my heart just went flutter, dude. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess, like, you know, I I just haven't been seeing a romantic relationship with him. The acting is so good that it feels fine to me. I just was, like, not prepared for it. But I'm I'm glad she's getting hers. Well, and I think... It's an emotional I, satisfaction. To, this like, one a feels... Lot of very intimate scenes. Yeah, and this one feels similar to how we said about Brienne and, and um, Jamie. It doesn't have to be sexual. It's that these two people fundamentally have a care for each other because they have been through so much together. So much yeah. together. And they so, together. right. Like, so Theon was technically a prince being held captive at Winterfell. He did really shitty things. No one's going to take that away from him. But he also, again, we talked about his, his redemption arc last week. Um, but again, like he also went through so like, I, I, this is funny. I talked about this today with my husband, um, him and I having gone through some like really kind of awful experiences when we were in our twenties together. It's so difficult to explain to people how, what a bond that, that brings to us. Because like, I don't have to explain to Brent, like I was in a cult, right? I don't have to. He was there. He saw it. He knows it. He knows the trauma. He knows all that shit. I think it's similar with, um, with Sansa and Theon, but would, would my heart like be totally open to the fact that like, that could be like, that could be kind of like a loving glance. Sure. But more than anything, it is a glance of like familiar love. Like I, I will spend this night with some, like this night sharing and breaking bread with someone I love. And I thought that was great. Uh, and so then uh, we move from all the things that we thought worked to, I mean, I'm just realizing that you and I actually did not discuss whether or not we think this works. And that is because I think it lives in a middle place, um, which is Danny and John finally having the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a great scene. I really think Twitter helped me uh, laugh a little bit about it with some clips, but um, he finally tells her, and I think as you and I both see, and we talked about, like, she's like, oh, really? Like, isn't that convenient, right? But they don't have any time to really talk about it. I, first off, my favorite tweet was like, I don't care if John's, I cannot, I'm so sorry, I cannot attribute it to whoever it was, but it was like, I don't care what his 23andMe DNA results say, nothing is more Ned Stark than telling the truth at a moment right before battle when you should just keep your mouth shut. Like, my God, John. <laughs> my God. Yeah. Well, that's because Ned Stark really is his father. I mean, like... Yeah, he know. raised him, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, and Danny just... I think Danny's had a 
bad couple of episodes. <laughs> and so but she definitely Danny is has, on the other side. Danny never stood a chance. That's how I feel about it. Like, girl has been going mad for a very long time. I was thinking of the crucifixion of the masters. So it's not just when she barbecued the Tarly. She's been making some weird decisions for a while. But my girl's going to come back. I'm sure she will. I'm sure. I, I <laughs> sure. <laughs> I will say I noticed the same thing you did when he says my, because when she comes in, she says, you know, people told me my brother was kind, right? Like people said, and, and how interesting, because for John, that's the first time anyone's ever talked to him about his father, like his actual father, like that he was kind and funny and he liked music and like, I'm so sorry for what he did to your aunt. Um, and, and, and he grew up hearing about Leanna Mormont being amazing and the books, we know much more about her. Like she was almost like a mixture of Arya and Sansa, like extremely strong-willed, really good with like horses and like badass, but also like stunningly beautiful and like able to like just be in a room and kind of capture everyone's attention um so when john says like my father you know like my father is Rhaegar targaryen like my mom was leanna stark it's true like bran told me and then sam backed it up i don't disagree with you that the natural conclusion right there for danny should be well that's convenient (laughs) i don't disagree with that i think my problem was which continues with my theory that she has already gone mad, has been mad for a while, and she never stood a chance, is she shows no ethic of care for John in that moment, right? Like, there isn't a single bit of her. If she loves John, the first reaction should be, oh, my God, what? I also think she's pregnant. I don't think she's pregnant. I definitely think, like, she's going to lay a baby bomb on him, like, soon. You're not the, were you the one who tweeted that to me or was it someone in the room? I was watching it in Brooklyn with, um, with some friends and like, I don't think she's pregnant. I honestly think her first concern was the throne and that would be concerning if that was my girlfriend. I think Danny is most honest with John right now because she lets down her guard when she finds him in the crypts and like she's like I love you and she really I think you see a different side of Danny that isn't guarded because she's learned to let herself down like that when it comes to John but this like I think her guard was kind of going up but we don't get a chance to really see what happens because they see each other on top of the wall when you know they lay out that the night king is there and then he gives her a signal to kind of like go get on the dragons and she walks away like that's it I, I honest to God. So we're going to have to say, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the battle, like the battle has to happen. And then we're going to get back to this stuff. I don't disagree with you on that. I just think that the reaction she had was exactly what I thought she would have. And it is the reaction of someone who, and, and Sansa kind of accuses her of it. Like John's the one who's given up everything. Like she said she has, but like she's been strategic and, and, there was just no no care in that moment for for John, and that's how I feel about it. And I feel like fundamentally, if she had to choose between everything and the throne, she picks the throne, which means John is now her enemy. Yeah, Period. I think we're gonna have to see what that happens in like episode four, five, and six. Right. So I thought it was an interesting scene. Not um, definitely not my favorite of last night. I think there needed to be a, again. It's difficult to do payoff for something you've waited for so long. Um, 
I think of the the second part of Deathly Hallows of the film where we get the backstory on Snape and Lily and like how difficult it was to even feel fulfilled. And, and I do think they did that scene beautifully in that film, but that like nothing was going to feel as great as the lead up to it, right? Like the lead yeah. up to it was the, the best part. So um, this is where you and I are going to differ entirely. Uh, usually we do likes, dislikes. We just went through our likes. We, we have a meh feeling about the Danny scene uh, with uh, John. John, I have zero dislikes of this episode. Zero. I love this episode. Yeah, I think some of my dislikes, you know, we've really talked about, you know, mixed in. Like, I think at the end of the day, like, I really had to watch it again. My major and only dislike was that, you know, one, I, and this is something listeners will remember me saying about a lot of stuff, is that, like, okay, it's a 56-minute episode. You know, all we heard about was, like, how these episodes are going to be so long. We have two episodes that were really the same amount of time as the others. I just feel like it's capitalism for capitalism's sake. And, you know, and although it was a great episode upon second viewing, I just keep sitting there going, like, couldn't we have just had, like, an actual full season? Like, there are just parts that, of me that get really angry when networks just tag people along just to make money and they kind of lose out in character and plot development. This, upon second viewing, obviously shows you the plot and character development and that, you know, that's not the case. The first episode, I still kind of will hold up to that fact. I thought it was just, like, a lot of fan fiction of, like, hey, we're back together. Hey, what's going on? Dragons. Yay, flying. Blah, blah, blah. But, like... right. I, I wish this episode would have taken pieces from Winterfell episode one and made it longer and like have this been like one episode. I feel like there's, I feel like between one and two, there was like a filler episode between scenes in there that could have just taken us into right on like with like the battle, this humongous battle we've just been reading about for years and like that we need to watch and see who's going to come out alive and who's going to die because the people that come out alive really show how strategically powerful they're going to be when it comes to like taking down Cersei. Interesting. Whereas I feel like I savored every moment, every conversation, because I have that feeling like when I'm getting to the last chapters of a very good book where I'm like, I don't want this to end. Like, yeah, I didn't I want the don't. heart scene to end. And I didn't I like, want the conversation with Danny and John to end because I really wanted them to talk just for a couple more minutes because I wanted them to work out a couple of things. And, you know, other than that, though, there's, there's a lot of pieces for me that could have been cut. And then the episode one, there are a lot of pieces that could have been cut and they could have made it an actual episode and then actually brought us into like this humongous battle. Like don't sit there and say like the rest of the season, which it, what from what we've read is go it's going to be like the, the next episode three is like 90 plus minutes. If I, if I, if I'm reading episode correctly. three and episode six are the same director as battle of the bastards. So I think it is very safe to, to take a guess that episode three is the battle of Winterfell. Episode six is the battle for the throne. Yeah. Um, and so, and they're going to be long episodes, right? I just, yes, this I just was our last corporate greed for corporate greed. You're so, see, it's so funny. My reaction is so different. My reaction is where I wish these had been 120. Like I, I, and again, it's that same. If they were to make this month. 120, we would have had more development. I would have been okay with it. I get, I get more upset when they're like short episodes. You're just ready to go to battle. Like, yeah, I'm like, get, okay. Like I'm stop like toying with me. Like tell me. Tell me, guys. <laughs> Tell me. Okay, so, y'all, that actually covers pretty much the entire episode. There was so much to cover. Um, 
John, any predictions for this next episode? Anything that particularly you're like, I think this is coming. So something with Bran is definitely going to come. I There's like a part of me where I was like, I wonder if like everyone dies and like they do like a reset or something. Like, you know how like shows have like, I don't know. Like, I'm wondering if like we're going to get a level of mysticism or like what's well, going to happen Oh, here? shit. That was part of it. Okay. So we didn't touch on when Jamie and Bran talk, right? And Jamie goes, when this is over and Bran goes, what makes you think there's like something after this, right? Yeah. Um, and then the discussion about how the Night King wants to erase the remembering, that what makes us human is our memories, our remembering of who we are, what we've done, where we came from. And then jo- and Sam makes that very smart observation of like, well, like, that's death. Like, we stop, uh, death stops all of that. We don't get to remember. We don't get to, to any of that. Um, I, so, sorry, we didn't even go into it. So, terrible theologians over here. There's a lot to unpack there about what makes us human right? Um, Is what makes us human our ability to kind of catalog our experiences? Is it just being alive? Is it Um, relationships? Is it community? Right. And I think it's a yes to all of those. So, so the idea that like the, the night King wants to erase not only what is, but what came before is, is very, very interesting. Um, which will, I'm, I, I actually really agree with you that that has to be something that is dealt with um, as we come up against the Night King. Um, I think... Like something's um, going to happen. Like, we're, like the preview gives us an idea of like either John kills the Night King and like all of it goes away or like does Bran do something? Like they're by a werewood tree so you know he's connected to memory. Like it's going to be really fascinating. And that's why I think the next episode is going to be so good. I definitely think like, if you love this episode, I'm probably going to come back and say, I loved next week's episode, you know, Uh, and you might hate it. Right. But I I think there's definitely a level of theology that comes to with Bran as like, he's the keeper of the keys, like, and the Night King's like the destroyer of those. And I think too, you know, I've obviously talked a lot about redemption arcs, um, in Game of Thrones, but if you've listened to us on other seasons, I've talked a lot about trauma, right? And the way that um, we are ourselves are trauma-informed human beings. So, um, and and what it means to like what it means to look like at redemption arcs. Like, am I always who I was? Is there possibility for real redemption that redeems a past, or am I just who I am in this moment in time, right? Um, and I think we've seen George R. R. Martin really grapple with what it, what that means with characters like Jamie, right? Like, if you were to say, who is Jamie? Is Jamie the man who threw a kid off a balcony? Or is he the man that redeemed Sansa, not redeemed, that rescued, you know, Sansa and worked to, like, protect through Brienne and worked to protect um, the Jamie Starks. really is the person that upheld uh, Lady Stark's. And and what I'm saying is um, the idea that like the the Night King believes that the past is as important as the present to erase means that George R. R. Martin's theology includes that as well, right? We are not only who we are in this moment, we are obviously made up of everything that has come before and everything that comes after is informed by what came before. The past is prologue. Right. So if the Night King wants a very different future, it, it is not just important to erase the present. It is very important to erase the past. So and that is Bran. And that is Bran, right. Bran um, is like a least, a less lovable Gandalf. 
I, yeah, I'm never a fan of Gandalf, so that's funny. Um, I love Gandalf's mythology. Okay, well, that's the next. That's the special episode. I do want to say my one prediction for next episode is clearly the crypts are not safe. I have a little fan fiction in my head. I don't actually think this is going to happen, but uh, that somehow the Night King resurrects, obviously, some of the dead people that are in the Stark um, crypts and deaths that I would not like to see happen. I would not like to see John have to kill his mother, who we know is in there. I would not like to see Arya have to battle a nearly headless Ned. Um, like anything around that where the Stark children have to see, like, you know, if Sansa has- Arya to- is running around in the crypts though. Oh, I know. Her- I've seen that. I've seen that clip. And the only thing I think that in my head could scare Arya that bad is if fucking Ned's running behind her holding his hand right his head waiting to chop hers off. Yeah. So, it's going to be really interesting. To it's going to be a very, very interesting episode and we can't wait. Um, We've, it's these weeks are long. It's like the endless night. Um, but can't wait for for episode three. Can't wait. I can't. I can't either. And I just hope the Lord of Light doesn't take you between now and then, Marcy. You're so cute. You're so cute. Gods don't come near me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So, um, everyone, next week, I think our advice to you is: if you drink, get a big glass. If you Ooh, don't. Buddy. Some Skittles. If you don't eat candy, well, then why are you listening to this podcast? If you have a prescription, take a Xanax because we are going to lose half the cast next week. We love you guys and we will see you for episode three.